We'll be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. This morning we're going to look at the names of Christmas. Uh, and we see it here in Isaiah chapter 9 in the prophecy of the child that would bring hope to the world. And uh, there are a lot of things, you know, when it comes to Christmas, I've had uh, several messages over my 10 years of pastoring, and uh, I like to repeat Christmas sermons sometimes, because when it comes to the Christmas story, there's, um, there's only so much material. Um, and uh, I've not preached this, I've preached on this passage before, but I've not preached this one uh, here and uh, I think there's a lot we can get from the names of God, from the names of Jesus, and uh, from the names given to us here in Isaiah chapter 9. Look in verse number 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Five names given here. Uh, for the Savior of the world, for the baby Jesus, the one who is given the miraculous birth here. And I think that we can learn some things from them. So today I'd like us just to go through these five names. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and then we'll break for lunch. Let's pray. Lord, help us, I do pray, this morning as we look at this passage, uh, at this verse, at these names that are given. And God, I believe that they are, carry such encouragement with them. And there's so much here that can make us smile, that can give us comfort, uh, that can give us joy. But Lord, I also pray that it would motivate us, motivate us to live for you better. So help us this morning, and I pray as I present uh, this verse that I would do it clearly and correctly. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We see these names that are given here in Isaiah. And uh, let's just look through them this morning. Number one this morning, we see the name Wonderful. Wonderful. What do you think of when you think of the word Wonderful? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting word. Uh, I like to use the word Wonderful. Oh, that's Wonderful. Um, I don't know about you. I don't know if you use that word often or not. Uh, but there's a lot of things that, that, that are carried in the name Wonderful that are given for us here in Scripture. First of all, it's to understand that uh, Jesus is both God and man. The fact that Christ came to earth, and we've talked about him a lot recently, of course. Uh, we talk about him every week. Uh, but we talked about a lot recently about his humbleness, and we've been going through Philippians, and we see that he humbled himself and, and took on the form of a servant and became a human. But even in his humanness, he did not give up his deity. He was both God and man. Boy, that's wonderful. Uh, we, there have been a lot of good people, great people that have lived on this earth over the years and some of whom we might say they were wonderful. I don't know who you would consider that to be, so I won't name any names today. Uh, but there are people uh, throughout history who go, boy, they were wonderful. But I'm telling you there's nothing more wonderful than having Jesus come to this earth and even though he took on flesh and became in the form of a servant, he did not lose his deity. He was still 100% God and 100% man. That is wonderful. Not only that, we just talked about it, but his lowly birth, his sinless life, 
His victorious death, His glorious resurrection, and His ascension back into heaven made Him wonderful. Everything about the life of the baby Jesus, who grew up to be the teenage Jesus, who grew up to be the adult Jesus, everything about Him was wonderful. And you look through His life and you see, again, from the beginning, we talked about this a little bit last week, but the beginning of His life and how um, uh, He came to be flesh. Mary, the virgin, being conceived, giving birth to a child. That's wonderful. Born in a, in a stable, born in a lowly manner, in a humble manner, um, for us to understand that it doesn't matter how low you feel you were in childhood, it's still wonderful. The life that he lived, the miracles that he show, show, sh- showed, uh, showed, the, uh, uh, the sermons that he preached, wonderful. His uh, death, boy, we think of death, we don't think of wonderful very often, but in Christ's death, it's wonderful. You know that today there are people all around the world who wear necklaces, bracelets, earrings, pennants of uh, pendants of, of the cross. In Christ's time, people wouldn't do that. Why? Because it was a sign of death. Uh, sin, crime, wickedness, punishment. But because of Christ's death, the cross is now a sign of victory. That's wonderful. His resurrection, there's nothing more wonderful. He's not dead. And I tell you what, there are people I miss in this world uh, because they died. I can't talk to them anymore. I can't have a conversation with them anymore. Uh, a phone call. Uh, I can't write a letter or receive a letter or any of those kinds of things. And, and you know, sometimes, man, that really stinks. But with God, He's alive. I, I can still have a conversation with God. I can still talk to God. As a matter of fact, God talks to me. He gives me gifts. He answers my prayers. He loves me. Boy, that's wonderful. And His ascension into heaven to, uh, to uh, wait on His timing for His return, that's wonderful. Not only the, uh, the, the fact that He was God and man, not only His birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension are wonderful, but also the way that He loves is wonderful. Uh, he loves without, um, without a price. He doesn't require anything of me in order for Him to love me. Now, He requires things of me for Him to reward me. He requires things of me for, uh, for, for the life to live the life that, that He desires for me to live. But He loves me no matter what. Boy, that's wonderful. Because I think I'm lovable, but I've been told I'm not as lovable as I think I am. But God loves me, and that's wonderful. Not only the way that He loves me, but the way that He forgives me. It's wonderful. Nothing I do is unforgivable in God's eyes. I've met too many people who have allowed their past 
to keep them from serving God, obeying God, following God. I've met too many people who've allowed their past to keep them from doing what God wants them to do and therefore keeps them from the reward that God has for them that's available to them. But if you understand that God forgives, you understand how wonderful God is. Wonderful also gives us this sense of mystery, the unknown, the inability to comprehend everything about God. We know a lot about God, don't we? We read the Bible, we see uh, His character traits, we see uh, um, His love, we see His forgiveness, we see His strength, we see all these things about God, and there's a lot that we know about God, but there is so much about God that we don't comprehend. And when we get to heaven, we will understand so much more. But the, the idea of wonderful has an idea of mystery about it. He's so wonderful that we don't even know how wonderful He is. Which is amazing to think because I think He's pretty wonderful. But the idea that holds this mystery of who God is and what God is and what God is capable of, it's wonderful. One of the names that's given for Him is wonderful. Why? Because He's wonderful. That's as simple as you can get. That's name number one today, wonderful. Name number two is counselor. Some people combine these two words as one name, wonderful counselor. I don't, and maybe I don't understand punctuation well, but there was a comma between the two, so I'm going to separate them. All right? I, I got a C in grammar. I'm doing okay. If you want to combine them, that's fine. He is a wonderful counselor. But I see it as two different things. Counselor. Not only showing us the way or guiding and counseling, but also empowering us to live in a way that pleases Him. When we think of counselors today, we think of people who just give advice, give counsel. Um, you know, the Bible says to heed counsel, wise counsel. And a multitude of counselors uh, is great wisdom. This counselor that we have in God, He not only gives advice, but He empowers us to follow the advice. Maybe advice is even the wrong word. Counsel, guidance. He says, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's how you're supposed to do it. And here's what you need to do it. We look at the Great Commission a lot, I know. But he says, go, teach, train, teach some more. And he says, I'll be with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to empower you. I have the strength to do it. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to empower you to do it. So go do it. And God says, put on the whole armor of God so that you can withstand the wiles of the devil. He said, I'm going to give you the armor. I'm going to empower you. He says, uh, run from, I'm paraphrasing, run from temptation. I'm going to give you the power to do so. He says, uh, ask for wisdom. I'm going to give you the ability to ask. I'm also going to give you the wisdom. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, we see this counselor. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word is what guides us. God's Word. And again, the Bible that we have in front of us is God's words. That's why we call it God's Word because it is God's Word. Uh, he inspired it. And the Bible tells us that He inspired men to write down, to pen down His words so that we can have it to read and to hear for ourselves. 
And so his word is what gives us the counsel. His word is directly from him. It's God's counsel to us. It's God's guidance to us. And his word is what guides us. Psalm uh, says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It guides us. It's what we need. Anybody who says, I don't know what God wants for my life isn't reading the Bible. I know you're saying, well, you say well all you want. It's true. You're probably not praying. You're probably not reading your Bible because the Bible tells us the Bible helps us. It's God's word. It gives us counsel, guidance. It, it leads us where we're supposed to go. You cannot get counsel from a better source than an all-knowing God. If he knows everything, knows everything about you, about your past, about your present, about your future, if he knows everything about this world because he created the world, well, wouldn't he be the best person to ask? James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, why would I ask God for wisdom? Because he knows everything. When we think of the names given here in Isaiah 6, he's wonderful, yes, but he's, he's a counselor. He is a wonderful counselor. He's the best counselor. He's the best guidance, wisdom, um, advice that you can ever receive is from God because he is an all-knowing God. And I wonder how often we uh, fail to go to God for counsel. How often we fail to seek His wisdom. How often we seek His guidance. Because we know ourselves. Sometimes we ask God to help with our plan. Alright God, uh, you know, here's the deal. I've got this planned out. And if everything goes smoothly, this will work perfectly. So if you can please make this plan go smoothly. It's not asking God for guidance. It's saying, God, I have the plan. I don't need your wisdom. I just need your help accomplishing my plan. Okay, well, let's try it the other way around. God, what's your plan? And how can I accomplish it? You know, God wants good things for you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says every good gift is from the Lord. Sometimes we have this misconceived notion that God is, wants us to struggle. <laughs> Listen, God says that if we follow Him, we're going to face persecution. There's going to be hardship. But He also says if you follow me, there's going to be joy, satisfaction, fulfillment. Um, it doesn't get any better. No, no thing that you can produce for yourself on this earth will give you more joy than what God can give you. And I've said this before, you're not going to believe me until you try it. You're going to say, well, I don't know, those people over there, they look pretty happy and they're not following God. You're not going to believe me until you try it. See for yourself. There's no greater joy than the joy that God gives. And we cannot experience that joy until we go to the counselor. Because not only does he give us guidance, he gives us the empowerment to fulfill that guidance. So he's wonderful. He's a counselor. Number three, he's the mighty God. Again, showing Christ's deity. Even as a baby. What does the 
I think the Greek says he was eight pounds, two ounces. Um, as a baby. Remember how small they are? I don't. Mine have always been this big. But, um, you know, a little peanut. He was still God. Not only was he still God, he was the mighty God. I, I know what Mary knew. I know a lot of times we ask, Mary, did you know? But um, I wonder if there was ever a moment where Mary looked into the baby Jesus' eyes and saw the mighty God. And I think a lot of times we view God as a baby. Here, God, let me help you. Here, God, let me cover you up. That's not who he is. He's the mighty God. And even in, in swaddling clothes, he was still the mighty God. We know what Mary knew. Uh, I don't know what she didn't know or what she didn't, com- or what she didn't comprehend or, or how, as holding Jesus, how she felt. But I know that the baby that she held was the mighty God. I believe the, the, uh, the Hebrew word for God that's used here is used something like 273 times. I looked it up and I forgot. Didn't write it down. 273 times in Scripture or something like that. But uh, the mighty God, all-powerful, this, this strength that is shown in Him. Not only is He all-knowing to give us great counsel, but He's all-powerful. And again, I think we get to this Christmas season sometimes, and it's great to celebrate the coming of Christ. I think it's a wonderful thing, and we should celebrate it. And it's great to understand how his earthly life and ministry began as this baby born of the Virgin Mary in a manger, placed in the manger and wrapped in rags. But may we never forget that he's the mighty God. He's the God that, with a word, created the world. we got doctors and scientists trying to create all these things right now. And incredible things. I mean, things that I can't even imagine. Um, they're, they're working on these things. It's taking them years, millions of dollars, technology that has uh, been built over the, the, the decades and maybe centuries. Uh, and probably not centuries. Anyways, uh, going through all these things, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. I've tried that before. It doesn't work. (laughs) You ever stub your toe in the middle of the night? Ah, let there be light. We don't have those, so it doesn't work in our house. God said, let there be birds. I got to go pheasant hunting with my assistant pastor in Indiana. I tried it, it didn't work. Let there be birds. It doesn't work for me. God made the land and the sea and the birds and the animals, the creeping things. Uh, he made plants. He made them so 
um, specific that they themselves reproduce plants just like them. He created human and He made us so specific. The Bible says He made us male and female. But you didn't know that. He gave us a nervous system that's just amazingly detailed. Did you know that when you slam your thumb with a hammer, there's actually a, a, a nervous system that runs that pain to your brain that tells you that hurt? It doesn't, it's not like, you don't, it's not here, it's here. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, it's, it's, it's detailed. Well, I can't do that. But God did. Why? Because he's, he's a mighty God. God sent a flood, covered the entire earth. Uh, he's a mighty God. God sent fire from heaven. He made the sun stand still. Uh, he defeated armies that seemed to be undefeatable because he's the mighty God. And he's your God. He's my God. So why don't we depend on Him more? He's the mighty God. Not only that, He's wonderful, He's counselor, He's a mighty God. He's, he's the everlasting Father. The main thing I believe with this point is looking more to the future. It is true that He has always been, but I, I believe this point here is looking to the Father of eternity. The Father of the future. What is ahead? He is eternal. Again, no beginning, no end. But it points to the future. God's work, Christ's work on this earth was preparing eternity. Right? He said, I came um, not to destroy, but to seek and save that which is lost. That's why He came the first time. That's why He was there was to prepare for eternity, to open eternity. It's not something we think about a whole lot, but before Christ's coming, we talked about it briefly in Sunday school today, but before Christ's coming, you know, the Jews, that's God's children. That's, uh, they followed the laws of Moses, and, and uh, they went through all these things, but Christ came, and, and all of a sudden, the, the doors opened. And I'm thankful for that because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but I'm not Jewish. See, Christ came to become, or was, but He is the everlasting Father. His works and His actions opened eternity. His, he is everlasting life. Jesus is. It says in 1 John 5, 11, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Without Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I don't have eternity. Not in heaven. People say, uh, oh, Jesus didn't have to do that. Yes, He did. For me, He did. Now, if He didn't love me, sure. Didn't need to do it. We looked at this in Sunday school too. Greater love, uh, uh, there's no greater love than this, that, that a man lay down his life for his son or for his friend. Uh, I misquoted that, I'm sorry, but you get the idea. Because he loved me, he died for me. 
And because he loved me, he rose from the dead. People say, oh, God didn't have to do that. Well, he did because he loves me. It's like when uh, you give somebody something and they go, oh, you didn't have to do that. I still say that. I need to stop. I, I, I just say thank you and move on. But, uh, oh, you didn't have to do that. Well, I love you. And because I love you, I did. He is wonderful. And he is a counselor. And he is the mighty God. But I'm so thankful he's the everlasting father. Even in child form. He was there for eternity. He was there to be my everlasting father. I love my dad. He's not going to be around forever. The older I get, the more I realize that. Now, I'm thankful for heaven, and, and I believe that when our life on this earth is done, I will see uh, all of those who have gone on before me and are in heaven as well. And as much as my dad has given me and as much as my dad has helped me and all those things in life, he can't compare to God. The everlasting Father, the giver of everlasting life, the one who made my eternity in heaven possible. And then lastly, we see the Prince of Peace. He's wonderful, both God and man. He loves and forgives. There's a little bit of mystery there. He's wonderful. He's a counselor, not only guiding and counseling, but empowering me to live uh, the counsel that he gives me. His word is a lamp unto my feet. He's mighty. Not only all-knowing, but all-powerful. He's the everlasting Father. He provides eternity for me. And then, he's a Prince of Peace. What does that mean? He, he... He preserves peace, but He creates peace. He's the maker of peace. Why does this world not have peace? Because this world doesn't have Jesus. As a matter of fact, the world will never have peace until Christ returns and destroys the wickedness and wipes the sin off the earth. And then it will have peace. But until then, we won't. But in my life, I can still have peace. As a matter of fact, God commands me to have peace. I think I said this last week, and if I didn't, I should have. Um, but if you don't have peace in your life, you're doing something wrong. And that sounds harsh. But it's true. God says, I'm the giver of peace. I desire for you to have peace. Well, if he wants me to have peace, then why wouldn't I have it? It's because I'm doing something wrong. Because when I have Christ and when I am following Christ, I'm promised peace. He's not just peaceable, but he gives peace, which ultimately produces joy. We looked at Philippians 4, 7 last week. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. That word keep is the idea of protecting. I don't like to use soccer as an illustration very often because it's a Nazi sport, but in soccer you have a goalkeeper, a goalie. His job is to protect the goal, to not let anything pass. He's the goalkeeper. 
God says here in Philippians 4 that He will keep your heart and mind. Protect, block, guard. And it comes with the peace that we have of obeying Him. And you see, He is the creator of peace. He is, uh, and as He gives us this peace, one that, that people can't understand, can't comprehend, how in the world are you having peace in the situation that you're in? Well, it's because of Jesus Christ. They're still not going to get it. And like I said about other things, you won't get it either until you just trust, follow, obey, experience it for yourself. It's incredible. Peace means or is the same as safety. Think of a storm. Um, when are you at peace in a storm? It's when you know you're out of harm's way. When you know that you cannot be hurt. Sometimes it's when the storm passes over. Sometimes it's when you're just in a place that you know you're secure. For most of my life, uh, for 26 years, I lived on the same property. And uh, on that property, we had what we called a mountain. For some people, it would be a hill, but we call it, it was technically a mountain. We were always told that because of where we lived, a tornado couldn't get us. The mountain would protect us. It would basically, the mountain would block it. It would jump over the mountain or whatever. And where we were compared to the base of, the, of that, that hill, the, it wouldn't be able to come down again. It would, it's just the way it worked. That gave me a lot of peace for many, many years in my life. And then I began to grow some common sense. And in my great wisdom, I stopped having peace about that. Then one day, we were in the middle of a storm, and the news person said, if you live close to the base of a large hill or mountain, it's pretty likely you're not going to get hit by a tornado. And I thought, my goodness, they were telling the truth. I still didn't have peace. <laughs> but because if you know weathermen. <clears throat> you know, God gives great peace. Why? Because he's the creator of it. The Prince of Peace. It seems like around Christmas time there's a lot of uncertainty. I don't know, it seems like there's always uh, people passing away and uh, we have friends who've lost parents and uh, we're about to and um, just people going through hardships and struggles and things like that. You're coming up on the end of the year and, and you're trying to find hope in the new year because everything that you planned for this year didn't work out and all those sorts of things. And then you start getting anxious about the new year and what it's going to bring and, and all kinds of different things. But we'll look at the Jesus Christ coming to this earth and, and one of the names that's given to him is the Prince of Peace, the Creator of Peace, the provider of safety and comfort. One time I was out in Arizona and uh, we were in this, uh, I guess, cabin kind of place. We're in a valley and uh, a storm came, a thunderstorm. It was summertime, uh, I think. Anyways, there was, there was a thunderstorm. And because of we were in the valley, it was very loud. You know, the thunder, when the thunder hit, it, was, it just echoed off of all the mountains. 
And I remember laying, I was in a bunk bed, and I remember laying there as a metal bunk bed, and my feet were touching the end of the bed. And see the flash of light and then the loud boom. And I remember thinking, I probably should not be touching this metal freight. I remember the storm went by and it got quiet. And all of my anxiety was gone. And then I could sleep. It's a simple illustration, but the fact that God provides for us that ability to sleep. Calmness of heart and mind, peace and comfort, and with that comes joy. I want that. The song says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Well, there can be joy, but you can't have joy without peace. And God is the creator of peace. So when we look at Christ... And we look at some names that are given for him in the prophecies leading up to his coming. We see these names given. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. If you're saved this morning, that's your God. That's who he is. He still is today. Well, how do I know that? Because the Bible says he never changes. It's the same yesterday, the day and forever. He's still wonderful. He's still a counselor that guides and empowers. He's still the mighty God. My everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. So why not claim that today? Why not apply that to your life today? Why not understand today who God is for you? He's all these things. And if he's not your God today, he can be. You know, the Bible says we're all sinners, and because of our sin, we deserve hell. Uh, but God gave us a gift, his only son, Jesus Christ. Christ came to earth, and he was born, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again from the dead. That's the simplest biblical definition of the gospel, the good news. He did it for you. And the Bible says that if you uh, confess your sins, that if you understand, comprehend, and believe that Jesus died for you and rose victorious from the grave, the Bible says that if you call on Him, God, save me. It says He will. It's not a magical prayer. It's not a, something you have to repeat over and over and over again. It is a simple calling on God to save you. God, save me. And when you do that, guess what? He becomes your God. He becomes your Father. He becomes your provider, your protector. He becomes wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace of your life. And there's no better time to make Him your God than today. But if He is already your God, if He is already your Father, if you are saved is the term that we use, and the Bible uses, then understand who He is and let it encourage you. Let it strengthen you. Let it embolden you to do what He desires for you to do. God, would you help us this morning? We're so thankful that you sent your Son for you tell us in John, for you loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God, I pray that you would help us as we go through this life, that we would comprehend what you've given us. And Lord, the fact that you dwell within us, that we can know that we have this same God that we read about in Isaiah, the same God that we read about throughout Scripture, Lord, that you are wonderful, that you are a counselor, that you are a mighty God, the mighty God, that you are the everlasting Father, my everlasting Father, and Lord, that you are the Prince of Peace. God, may we, may we take these things and use it to motivate, to encourage, to strengthen us, Lord, so that we'll better follow you today. But Lord, we can't do it without your help, and you promised to help us. So God, may we claim your promises, I pray in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand with me, please?